This evening we are continuing our studies in the book of uh, 1 John, and we are looking at chapter 5, verses uh, 9 onwards. Chapter 5, verse 9. It says, We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone that does not believe has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is indeed the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You notice these verses give us so much of an assurance of who we are, of what we have in our lives, the fact of we belonging to God's family, the fact of He giving us this life. And how does this come about? How do we have this assurance? People go through life at times uh, having a lot of doubts about their faith, a lot of doubts about their salvation. And if you notice John writing this epistle to the church there with false teachers coming around saying, you have to do this, you have to do that. Now, John is trying to get across to them to say, hey, look, at this is the basic fundamental truths of Scripture. If you have responded to who Jesus is, you believe who he is and accept his sacrifice, you have given over yourself to him, then the Spirit of God comes inside of you and he is the one who gives you life. Because if you have God in you, then the God, the giver of life is in you, then your life is different. Your life has spiritual life, life that is qualitatively different. And that's what John is getting across to the church there and also to us this evening. Verse 9 tells us if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. John argues here from the lesser to the greater. The lesser is, hey, you and I accept if somebody says, hey, this is what happened, this is what you know, I've seen, this is what I've experienced, you know, we accept that person's testimony. But if God himself is giving this testimony that Jesus is indeed sent by him, then that has a greater weightage. So the testimony that he is speaking about is a divine testimony that God himself testifies about his son. That God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God mentions in his word about the fact that he was going to send his son, what he did, and the fact that he is also coming back again. So if you have received normal human testimonies, then we would find that you know, the greater testimony of God himself giving us his word, his written word, we should be in a better position to respond to that. But sad to say, a lot of people, when you look at the Bible, they may think of it just as a human testimony. Just as, you know, oh, it has been written by people. No, no, it is not written by people. Yes, God used the people, 
but this is God's divine word, which is the testimony that God has given to us. So we have the living word, who is Jesus, who is the testimony. We also have the written word. So our understanding of what the Bible is makes a big difference. If we really believe that this is God's written word to us, then we treat it like that. Not like a holy book, so you keep it all covered up and in a sacred place. But no, you read it because this is God's word to us of how we should live, who he is. So the understanding of who God is would enable us to also understand his written word. If we have accepted the testimony of Jesus, then we are saying, oh, I accept also God. This is your word which you have given to me. So he says, the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son, that God has testified concerning his son. In John chapter 5, verses 31 to 47, Jesus gives us four different testimonies of proving, if you were to say, of who Jesus really is. John chapter 5, verse 31 says, if I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. But the witness which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is there these that bear witness of me. If you notice John, Jesus, when he was here, another was sinner, telling the people, remember in the Old Testament times, in the Jewish culture, it there was a requirement of two or three witnesses to confirm a particular truth. So Jesus gives us four witnesses. He speaks about the testimony of John the Baptist. You know, he testified. He speaks about the works that Jesus was doing. That testified. He speaks about the Father himself testifying. And he also says the scriptures do testify. So you have so much of uh, uh, assurance that what God has said about Jesus is true. Jesus himself testified it. The written word also testifies it. So in verse 10, he says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. So if this is God's testimony, if this is what God says, you have an option. Either you accept what he says, this is true, or you don't accept what he says is true. So what will be the end result of these two options? The first option, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. This is the first response, the one who believes. The word that is used there for belief, you know, the tense that is used there, is a continuous tense. It's an ongoing tense. It's a question of habitually having this trust 
It is a continuous action. It's a permanent thing. It's not a question of today I have faith, tomorrow I don't have faith. Now, there's also a difference between believing someone and believing in that person. If we believe someone, we do no more than accept whatever statement that person may be making at the moment as true. But if we believe in someone, we accept the whole person and all that that individual stands for in complete trust. And that's what John is writing here. He says he's not speaking about if you believe Son of God. He's speaking of if you believe in the Son of God. If you believe in him as a person, then whatever he says is true. You accept it, not just bits and pieces. So we cannot select passages from Scripture and say, I believe this is true, this I don't believe. No, no. If God has given us his written word, then the entirety. If God has taught us in his word, entirety. Why? Because you believe who Jesus is. You believe in him as an individual. Not just, you know, he was a good teacher, so I accept his teachings. No, no. You accept him as an individual for who he is. And as a result, in that package of who he is, not only what he says, what he does, and what he wants us to do also comes into place. So if we believe in the Son of God, the scripture tells us, we have the testimony in ourselves. If, in other words, when we say yes to God, I believe who Jesus is, I believe what he has said, and as a result, I've yielded myself to God to say, okay, God, I accept your sacrifice, I give myself to you, you take me and you tell me what you want me to do. Then the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. Remember Paul or Saul on the way to Damascus, persecuting Jesus and the Christians, when he struck the scripture speaks about how immediately his response was, Lord, what would you want me to do? When God touches us, when God changes our lives, the immediate response is to acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord. How do we get that response? Because the Spirit of God comes inside of us. The Bible says the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we belong to him. So the testimony inside of us is the assurance, the Spirit of God, that tug at your heart. They said, hey, now you belong to me. You belong to me. You are my child. And as is that, the scripture speaks about these words, that the Spirit of God has, been, we have been sealed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. This is the inward testimony that is spoken about here. Our own spirit inside of us, and it tells us that we are God's children. and that voice within us is the Spirit of God who speaks to our hearts. <laughs> okay, So the gospel message, which for others is just an external truth, to say, okay, Jesus came into this world, he died on the cross, and uh, that's a truth. But for the believer, it becomes an experiential truth. Not only you believe in your head, you have made it an experience in your heart. As a result, your sins have been forgiven, you have now a new life in you. The Spirit of God is the one who gives you that new life. He is the one who regenerates you. He is the one who refreshes you. He is the one who gives you life. On the other hand, if a person says, no, I don't accept this truth. I don't want to believe in Jesus. Okay, What does the scripture tells us? The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. 
He doesn't say over here now, the one who does not believe in God, the one who does not believe God. In his statements of who he is, you know, John does not give us an exact contrast with the previous clause. In other words, he does not say, does not believe in the Son of God, but instead says he does not believe God, which emphasizes whose testimony he is rejecting. So, when a person does not believe the message of Jesus, John is very clear saying he has actually rejected the message of God. And not only has he rejected the message of God, he is saying he has actually called God a liar. Because if God says something and he says, no, I don't believe it, you know, if you have unbelief in your heart, you know, as John Stott puts it across, unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It is a sin to be deplored. Its sinfulness lies in the fact that it contradicts the word of the one true God and thus attributes falsehood to him. So it's not a question of a hey, poor guy, you know, he's so ignorant of this. No, no, it's a question of he has refused to believe it, okay? Charles Spurgeon writes and says, The great sin of not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is often spoken of very lightly and in a very trifling spirit, as though it was scarcely any sin at all. Yet according to my text, and indeed according to the whole tenor of the scriptures, unbelief is the giving of God the lie. And then, what can be worse? What can be worse? You know? God has given us sufficient testimony of who he is. If you notice the book of Romans, speaks about it and says, oh, here's a person who has never heard about Jesus. God says, okay, I've shown him who I am, the fact that I'm a creator. All creation declares it. Now, what does he do with that fact, that there is a God? Does he think further? Or does he say, no, I don't believe in God? If he doesn't believe in God, he's calling God a liar. And he says that's unbelief, you know, he is going to be judged. And if he says, I've never heard about Jesus, you know, God says, I've shown him through us the creation, the fact that God has created us with a human spirit, longing for God, and he does nothing about wanting to know God. The scripture says, you're called God to be a liar. So a lie is actually an intentional violation of truth. Now, this is the fifth time, if you notice, that John is speaking about you know, being a liar. You know, he describes a liar three times referring to men and twice to God. Not, of course, that God is ever a liar, but we make him to be a liar. Okay? John 1.10, 1 John 1.10 says, If we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John 2, 4 says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2, 22 says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So here, if you notice, John is very clear. We must know the truth and live by the truth. And if you're not willing to accept the truth and say, especially in the world, the postmodern world that we live in, which speaks about there's no such thing as absolute truth. What is true for you is not true for me. God says, hey, that's all rubbish. You know? God says, hey, you're calling God to be a liar. 
So only two things are going to remain forever. Our spirits which are going to live for all eternity and also the word of God that will remain forever. So God is saying, hey, what value are you going to place on that? What value are you going to place on that? Verse 11 says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. God has given us eternal life. Now, oftentimes when people think about eternal life, they think about life after death. Now, now, yes, that's going to be eternal, but also hell in that sense is going to be eternal. But no, the word that is used there for eternal means the very life of God. So we are not speaking about a quantity of life, we are speaking about a quality of life. So we cannot say that hell is eternal. Hell is everlasting, you may say, and hell is ongoing. But when you're thinking about eternal, that word, it basically speaks about the quality of life. And along with that, of course, the quantitative part as well. So when you're saying that this is the testimony, if you believe who Jesus is, if you believe the truth of God's word, then God has given us his spirit. His spirit bears witness within us. and he gives us eternal life. You know, the very life of God comes and dwells within us. If you notice the tense that is used there, it says God has given us eternal life. In other words, he doesn't say God will give you eternal life. No, no, it's not a future thing. It is as soon as you believe in Christ, you have that different life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Another translation says we are new species. You know, the old has gone. Now the new has come. There's a new life inside of you. What life? The very life of God. That is what that eternal means. And that's what he says when he says, this life is in his son. So if his son has, is living inside of us, the triune God is living inside of us, then there has to be a change. There has to be a change. The word that is used there about has given us, again, it's speaking of an Aorist tense, we speak of about an event that has taken place and the impact of that is continuing on. God has given us this eternal life and it's going to continue on forever. That is the assurance that God gives to us. If you notice 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, we read about, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. The same word that is used there has given to us, has been lavished upon us, you know, so profusely. We don't deserve that life, isn't it? When you're thinking about our lives, sinful lives, God says, I've taken away your heart of stone. I've given you a heart of flesh. That's the chain. That's the life that God gives to us. <clears throat> so three important truths are emphasized in this verse about eternal life. First, that it is not a prize that we have earned or could earn, but it is an undeserved gift. It is not something that we are waiting for after we die, depending on how we have lived our life. It's not a prize, okay? It is something that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us right now. Secondly, it is found in Christ, so that in order to give us life, God both gave and gives his son. He is the one who gives us that life. The person says, he does not have the son, does not have life. He does not have the spirit, does not belong to him. So if a person says, yes, I have Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit. No, that's not possible. 
It's the triune God that comes and lives inside of us. Thirdly, this gift of life is a present possession which will continue to all eternity. Verse 12 says, He who does who he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So John goes on to explain that if eternal life is in his son, the one who has the son, he has responded to him and said, Lord, I take you as my savior and Lord, I give charge of my life to you. Then the Lord says, if you have the son, then you have life. And he's speaking about have the son, speaking about possessing the son. It's speaking about handing over responsibility. It's speaking about saying, God, I give up. This is not my life. Now this belongs to you. That's what it means about that tena, having the son, grabbing hold and saying, Lord, I'm going to hold on to you. So those who have the son of God living in them have eternal life, not life someday, not life later on, not a conditional life, but life, eternal life today. But he who does not have the son of God, this is the other side of it, does not have life. John is very, very clear. He wants to make it in a, in a crystal clear, black and white. This way, that way, he puts it across so that there is no doubt in the minds of the readers and the hearers. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you can't talk about having spiritual life. You can't say, I'm having a, a, a spiritual nirvana. No, not possible. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. In a spiritual life, eternal life comes only because of Jesus. And that's why, you know, in John chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. Remember, twice when it comes in an important statement, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, has eternal, present, continuous, okay, and does not, in other words, no way possible, you know, come into judgment but has passed, you know, again, speaking about the permanence, you know, he has passed from death into life. In other words, we are not inching our way into heaven. No, we have been taken from one kingdom and put into the other kingdom. No question of a, a slow progression into hoping I will reach heaven someday. No, no. If you hear his word, believe in him, then you have eternal life. And you will not come under judgment. That's the guarantee that God gives to us. John chapter 3 and verse 36 tells us, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides continually on him. So when we say yes to God, it's not a question of yes, I've said yes to do, now I can do whatever I want to do. No, no, no. If we say we believe in him, believing is not just a head knowledge. Believing is a heart response, a will response to say, Lord, I believe in you. And as a result, whatever you say, I am willing to do. And when we do that, the Spirit of God inside of us gives us the strength, gives us the assurance to live for him. My prayer is that this week, would be a life-changing week for each one of us as we yield ourselves more fully to the Lord. The Lord would be able to take us, use us, mold us into his likeness more and more and use us for his glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.